Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. All right, welcome back to the Deepen Podcast for a brand new season and a brand new series. We just kicked off Lent, one of my favorite times of year, because I love fasting. <laughs> Uh, we're celebrating a lot of things. Uh, Charles Martin, the one, the only, is joining us, and he has released this book called It Is Finished. We're going through this as a church. If you're listening, stop what you're doing right now and go get yourself a copy of that book. And uh, Pastor Joby, I thought we could start, in case somebody has not heard in a while, why do we do this podcast? Like, what's the vision for this podcast? Uh so that people would deepen their relationship with Jesus Christ. We had no aspirations that people necessarily outside of our church would even listen to it, but, you know, you've only got so much time to preach a sermon. We the we have these conversations about sermons and texts and all of that, and then there was a little bit of um, kind of a Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan in the back of my head going, well, if these guys just sit around and talk about what they're interested in, why don't we just record this and put it out there for anybody that wants to go deeper into whatever we're talking about here mm-hmm. at the church. And so mm-hmm. that that is that's the point. Yeah. That's why we don't like I don't do guest interviews and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. That's it. Yeah, we're just trying to rehash, unpack a little bit more, talk about the text or wherever the text might lead to. It's really helpful because sometimes you get into stuff that you weren't able to Talk about in the sermon or some more personal details that we might not otherwise have known. So I'm excited for tonight. And uh, wow, the sermon. And I I can tell this is going to be a great series. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the series? So we called a series to tell us die, which uh, means it is finished or paid in full. Uh, It's obviously in conjunction with Charles's book. So all of that's dovetailing together as a preparation to celebrate Resurrection Weekend for us. Um, the the seven sayings of the cross is what we'll be studying over the next seven weeks as we also like march or journey our way mm-hmm. to Golgotha and the empty tomb. Mm-hmm. And so then that's what this devotional book does too. It's mm-hmm. a walk back to the cross. And I'm going to be brutally honest, I don't read devotionals except... Gretchen Martins, I've read all of hers, <laughs> and they're good. Hers are really good. And I'm going through Charles because mm-hmm. I normally just read the Bible. Yeah. Um, but obviously, Charles Charles was ordained through our pastoral ordination process here mm-hmm. and is uh, not just a friend of mine, but one of my corner toters, like I like to call him. Mm-hmm. And he just has a profound way to make the scriptures just, I mean, they are alive, mm. but in kind of five cents, I mean, five cents detail. I promise. I read some stuff and I can smell Jerusalem again. I smell the shawarma. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> and When you say corner toters, I always love it because I think of tater tots. I like tater tots. Uh, pulling down on my back. Put those in your pocket. Uh, Charles, tell us, tell us what what did God do in your heart to bring about this book? And and I mean the t- well, the title is it started with us a couple of years ago. We were in Jerusalem, and I ended up one night down uh, under down along on a Herodian road on lo- that runs along the Western Wall, 
at night with with us and Mark Croslin. We get down there to to Pilate's Praetorium, and there's a hole in the ground that's. I know if you're listening to this, you can't see me, but I'm holding my hands like in a circle. It's about a 14 inch in diameter circle in the stone. And we know from record that they would wedge a post in that hole and lash the prisoner to the post and the scourge him. And then there's this groove carved into the stone, which is a blood groove. And about 12 feet over there, there's, there, there's a game. There's some, it looks like a tic-tac-toe board. It's like 12 vertical lines and 12 horizontal lines. Mm-hmm. And we know from record that it's called the King's Game. And the soldiers would gamble for the belongings of the dude strapped to the post. And I'm 54. I've known the Lord a long time. I've walked with him. That doesn't mean I've always been obedient. I don't have the monopoly on that. But I know him, and I, I know some of his word, and I've read it. And But for some reason, that night, I'm standing over that hole, and it was like the Lord just did a thing. He took, he took knowledge from my head, and he migrated it down into my heart. And when it hit my heart, my response was, this really happened. Mm-hmm. Like, this really happened. The king of all kings stood up off his throne and came here on a rescue mission. And I'm not just looking at all of you going, he came on a rescue mission for all of us, although he absolutely did. I'm just seeing, I'm just talking about me because I know the exchange is not mm-hmm. worth what it cost him. Mm-hmm. If you knew my thoughts, you'd agree with me. Actually, mm-hmm. you do know my thoughts because we've prayed together. So you mm-hmm. probably agree with me. <laughs> But it was just a thing where the Lord did this movement in me, and I had this, I had this desire to, to walk in my own way, this pilgrimage, this story back to the cross over and over and over. And it just, the words of Paul bubbled up. Uh, God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of our Lord. Why, the, why not boast in his miracles, the raising of Lazarus, the blind sea? The, I mean, mm. And, and Paul says, I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Mm-hmm. And so I just, it was the thing that the Lord did in me. He took me back to his cross and I thought I knew what he had revealed there and I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. And through this about nine months, it took me about nine months to write this. He, I was afraid, to be honest, I was afraid to try and write this because I didn't think I could do it. Mm-hmm. And it was just a real gentle thing. It's not like I heard his voice like you're hearing me, but it was like an impression. And I, I, was, I was in my conversation with the Lord. I was like, Lord, I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can tell your story. He said, well, just walk with me back to my cross and let me tell it to you. Hmm. And so we did. Hmm. And that pilgrimage is now this book. Hmm. Pastor Joby, what do you think is special? Or So I was thinking about this. If you're a church-going person, you might spend a day, a year, Good Friday, thinking thoughts about the cross, if that, you know, I don't know how many people actually spend a lot of time, but we're going to spend seven weeks. What do you think are some of the benefits of this extended meditation on what he just said, the cross? Um, Look at, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, so give me a little grace, all you accusers of the brethren. (laughs) (laughs) First 30 years of Jesus' life cover about, there are about four chapters dedicated to it mm-hmm. in all four Gospels. Yeah. There's something like, there's about 20, cha- 16 chapters, something like that, dedicated to the last 24 hours of his life. Mm-hmm. There's about 80-something chapters dedicated mm-hmm. to the last three years. Mm-hmm. Proportionately, the Bible spends 
the most time on the crucifixion and resurrection, Mm. proportionate to how long it took versus the amount of time spent on the other parts of his life. Seems appropriate to spend Mm. seven weeks just immersed in it, baptized in the cross to get ready for resurrection weekend. Mm. It's going to be great. Well, let's get a little bit of of what we covered. You you talked about this verse in Luke 19, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And this, it struck me as like a unique, it is a unique feature of Christianity, of our faith, that God seeks us as opposed to us doing doing the work. Um, <clears throat> why why is it so important, Pastor Britt, that that he takes the initiative? Well, number one is his story, and so he's not like he's never ever been cosmically vying for our attention, so that he could be or asking for a part in our story. It's always been his story, and. His self-satisfying love that he has in and of himself since eternity forever spilled out in creation and on creation. And then as soon as creation rebelled against his love Mm -hmm. and decided to try to love themselves better than he could love them, he immediately stepped in and started to paint a picture of what real redemption looked like Mm -hmm. and what the cost against holiness is and the justice of God. I mean, you all see it from that, from then all the way to the cross. And so the cross was always the point, you know, Mm. and it is a, and it is probably the best way I've heard it or understood it is it is a one way love. That is, it is a one way love that we get wrapped up in and caught up in, but God does not love us because we first loved him. That is not how this is you know we love him because he first loved us and and so it is a god-centered story it is a god-told story it is a god it's not a story it's a testimony it's a god-glorifying revelation hmm. of what life eternal life is and always has been so um, at the end of the day god is the center of the story and he has chosen that the cross be the center of his story in human history, um, redemptive history. So, I think, let me just put this on like kindergarten level language. <clears throat> the thing that I think all religions would agree with is we are here and the divine is there, mm. including Christianity. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a gap, there's a chasm. Mm-hmm. Call it whatever you want. Yeah, part of what holiness means is separate. That's it. He, the, not even he. The divine there us here. Every other religion says, okay, what must I do to get from here to there? Mm -hmm. The message of the gospel is that God came from there to here Mm -hmm. to take us from here to there. Mm -hmm. Fundamental difference. That's it. And what's crazy is um, one time there's this story of C.S. Lewis, who's like my favorite person to talk about apparently. And there are these uh, professors at Cambridge, and they're uh, they're in the religion department, and they're writing all of the commonalities that all of the religions have, mm. things like prayer and devotion and morality and scriptures, and yeah. blah, 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 and they fill up this chalkboard 
with all of these things. And C.S. Lewis comes walking by and they go, hey, Jack, come in here. For those of you who don't know, his nickname is Jack. And I don't know why, but I think that's so cool. Hey, Jack, come here. And they go, we believe, and here is the evidence, that all religions are fundamentally the same and only different in the details. And he goes, you're absolutely wrong. Christianity is fundamentally different. And only in the details have some commonalities. And they go, well, what's the difference? And the story goes, he goes with one big eraser and erases a big place in the middle and just writes grace. Because hmm. grace is that he went from there to here to bring us, hmm. not what must I do mm-hmm. to get to mm-hmm. you. Uh, I was looking, I couldn't find it. Isn't, isn't this line in another gospel when he says, it's not the well who needed physician, but the sick? For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So he's also talking about the condition of the people that he's reaching, right? That it's not that he's not looking for polished, you know, people who've already got it together, who already know all the rules, or already know all the commandments. Yeah, and that's a backhanded compliment by Jesus. That's the hey, you don't sweat much for a fat kid. That is what he's saying. <laughs> he's like, oh, I didn't come for the righteous, because if you think you're righteous, you are not poor in spirit and ready to receive the kingdom of God. Mm. So he's like, yep, I can't. Well, I mean, he can do whatever he wants, but you are not ready to receive salvation until mm. you realize I am sick. Mm. Well, that's why the talking about the God-centered story, why, why there's only one true living God and all the rest of them in every other world religion are just made up. Or, or you know, you could argue in Judaism, but it's just not the fullness of God because Jesus Christ is the exact imprint, right? So the God-centered reality of the story, why there's one true living God is because he, the, the righteousness side of it, that he he became that and imputed his righteousness to us, meaning the majority of world religions would say that you know, you're performing for God and he is in the process of judging your merit. That's right. And judging your righteousness based on your behavior, your performance, your obligatory response to his rules as through whatever way he's told those. Christianity is not that at all. Mm -hmm. It is not that at all. It is that he is completely righteous and he has completely given you that righteousness Mm -hmm. of his own choice. That's Mm -hmm. why you were talking tonight about, Father, forgive them. Like, he... It's not like it's God's job to forgive. Right. There's an old German poet named Heinrich Hine or something like that. And on his deathbed, he said some version of, I'm going to butcher it, but he said, um, of course God will forgive me. It's his job to do so. Incorrect. No. It is not his job to forgive you. It is his choice to forgive anyone by grace, because it makes him happy to do so. Correct. And, <laughs> and he would be doing no one an injustice by allowing them to spend an eternity apart from them, him, mm-hmm. based on their own glad rebellion against him. For yeah. sure. He would be no less righteous to not forgive. Right. right. So he... <clears throat> He's, he's our God, the God of the Bible. He's the only living God that is the center of the, sto- of, the, of the story or the center of the testimony. Every other world religion, man is actually the center of the testimony mm. because everything depended on their behavior. Mm-hmm. Everything is decided because of God's behavior toward us mm. and yeah. Christianity. So it's, it is fundamentally different. 
The word to telestai, as as we have been so well trained, means paid in full, or you know, it's it's it is accomplished. So Charles, perfectly perfected. I guess there's a bunch of different translations because of the tense of it. You mm-hmm. know, finally finished. Mm-hmm. It's like that kind of in Greek. It's like a double. I don't know what you would say, but like it's two words that mean the same thing mm-hmm. smashed together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Completely complete. Yeah, that's it, it was finished then, and it is continuing to be finished now and forever. Correct. Mm-hmm. Perfect tense, which is so cool. Why? And and uh, are there we'll any talk about other this. words that are that. There, I mean, there's some perfect tense, but not like that. There's some. It's it's definitely like a play on word. Would I am that I am be similar? Like it's well, the word. I just asked this a question. Telos yeah. is like You're the, looking the, the root like of it, you know, which means like <laughs> finished or paid or. And we'll talk about this a ton on the final week, but um, archaeologists have found first century bank documents. This is my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. And when you would pay off the loan, they would stamp the word "tetelestai" on it. Mm-hmm. And so, I love that. how weird would it be if you came back after you paid off your house? Let's just say it's house, and they stamped a telestai. And then the next month, you're like, here's my payment. And they're like, no, 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 you've paid it off. And you're like, no, but I just feel like I'm still living there. I feel like I should. You, How dumb would you be? Mm-hmm. Right? For sure. Mm. If you paid for my meal. And then I was like, no, I'm going to give that money to the steakhouse also. That would be so dumb. Mm-hmm. That that is what workspace righteousness is, and I mean, I mean, I this tattoo right here of Tetelestai is, I mean, some of my own inner demons that I'm fighting, and a part of the way I'm fighting it is that mm-hmm. because I'm an idiot, and I'm I keep going back to the loan officer, going, let me keep paying on the thing, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah, how baller is it of the Holy Spirit that our church knows what propitiation means that you have no idea. Mm-hmm how it warms my soul. I literally had several very famous church growth experts early on say to me, you, you got to back off on the theological terminology because people don't understand what that means. Hmm. And I, I mean, I know I say it as a funny. I, I just intuitively thought that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like that's no. I mean, you you disciple people by teaching them stuff. And so whatever. Hmm. And I did, I, I, it's, I remember being in a Starbucks, and I refused to speak the language, but everybody around me could use their language. And I thought, if these people can learn what these things mean, which the words don't even mean what they mean. Like, they don't call the right sizes the right, you know what I mean? You've heard all the bit. And I thought, we can we can know propitiation and tetelestai and things like that. Yeah, so the, the Asians, I think that's worthy dialogue. We had an all-staff meeting recently where we, I was talking about eight theological terms that you should know if you're in ministry. Uh, right, one is propitiation, which everybody in our church, pretty much everybody knows that one now. Yeah. The other one is expiation, mm-hmm. which is the kind of the full counsel of propitiation, yeah, right? Like so, expungement. Yeah, so propitiation is a payment that satisfies the debt, and expiation is the mercy that extinguishes the guilt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if somebody goes to prison... They commit a crime, they go to prison for 27 years, and they pay their debt according to the judge, but they get out. That doesn't necessarily mean like they're still guilty of the crime, yep. and they still both and they still carry the guilt on their conscience. And that's why one of the expiations is <laughs> one of my favorite words. Because so the root it, word it, for what you do in a court when you expunge somebody's record is close to the expiation word. That's where it comes from. 
Mm. We're going to remove the record of guilt upon you and that, and that you get your record expunged. So that's what ex, expiation means. Part of the reason I teach it the way I teach it, propitiation, and have tried, like I came up with a, a definition that's right. It is not the whole and total complete of all that propitiation is. I just need people mm-hmm. to know what we're talking about, mm-hmm. particularly because of what that means in regards to imputed righteousness. Mm-hmm. So often I'll say, so why does it matter that he that the, that the debt was paid or a payment that satisfies is because so many of us think God is dissatisfied in us and those two things cannot simultaneously be true. Mm-hmm. If Jesus is the propitiation, the payment that satisfies, mm-hmm. then he ain't mad at you. Mm-hmm. He's not dissatisfied in you. Mm-hmm. This goes to a very private conversation, but I think it's important. As we were thinking about some recent events that have bothered us very much for all the right reasons, and you said about this person, I'm just so disappointed, and then you felt a check from the Spirit say, that's not a gospel word. That's not a in God's vocabulary. Hmm. Yeah, disappointment is the devil's work, is what I felt like the Holy Spirit right, said to right, me. Right. That's all rooted in propitiation and a payment that satisfies. Hmm. We were it, I, it was the right feeling. You had the right human response to mm-hmm. a very tragic situation. But it's but but we we get to sit at this table and work at this church. And we are responsible to be very precise in the language that we use to describe uh, who God is, particularly in situations like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Propitiation pays the debt. Expiation removes the guilt. Imputation gives you all the righteousness of Christ. And that's different than impartation. Mm-hmm. And so some of you may I see the Protestant Reformation. Tell me about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Explain the difference. Uh, impartation is an if-then clause mm-hmm. that if you do your part, then God will impart to you his grace. Mm-hmm. Imputation is because of what Christ has done, this has been credited to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And impartation means that you have to perform something to get it. You know, so like your your deeds of penitence or your ad, ad, adherence to the sacraments or whatever, yep. like oh, that's what that's how you re- impart the grace to yourself. So you got to keep topping yourself off. Yeah, and also means again. I mean, it implies that the grace runs out, mm-hmm. so you got to go get more mm-hmm. by your works. Right. It's real bad, man. It's bad. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, bad. it's a fundamental misconception of the word repent. Mm-hmm. Correct. So repent was interpreted for many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. That repent meant to pay for, yeah, mm-hmm. to repay yeah. instead of paid for or turned from. Mm-hmm. So the idea that impartation comes from the idea that you there's still something left mm-hmm. for you to pay for mm-hmm. through repentance, and we just fundamentally, mm-hmm. it is not finished if that is the case. Mm-hmm. But right. Jesus says it is finished. Therefore, there's nothing left to pay. It is by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And uh, and if you all of these things come, and then if you use that theological reality of the character, nature, and activity of God towards humanity for those who believe to think you can do whatever you want to do, it is evidence that you have not repented, change of mind, you have not submitted and surrendered, mm-hmm. that you by definition are Lord of your own life. Mm-hmm. So. I also think it means you don't understand the grace that has been 
lavishly bestowed upon you. Because if you can take it so cheaply, then you don't understand what it costs in order to lavish it on you. Do we... Um, <clears throat> so I'm a, <laughs> a bit of a micromanager only when it comes to our services, as you guys know. Like if, if we change a light bulb, I'm like, I better see it. Just because it matters. I want it to be right. And so we have a set change, you know. And all we did is pull the cross up to the front of the screen. I say all we did, but it's just for the sake of this series, man. And I was just supposed to give it the okay today. And they had, I mean, there's not a, there's like two people in the worship center. You know, it's um, the guys that run some of that stuff, man. And you just see that cross like all lit up. And I mean, I can't keep it together. Mm. And I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to okay the set. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. Mm. And I know what we're talking about. And I just, I just can't get past it, Mm. you know? Mm. So good on all the guys that, whoever had that idea and, and that. Yeah, I was thinking about that tonight with the cross, where it is on the stage. And it's all lit up in 2020, whatever year we're in for. And it's, it's a beautiful image. And there's a part of me that's like, we wear crosses around our necks yeah. and we put them on our walls. At least the and, one we have on stage is not pretty. It's all banged up. Yeah. It's got like blood stains. It literally has, I mean, if you pay attention, but. There is a, what I think, sitting, measuring my own motivation, a bit a bit Pharisee motivated when I look at it. Uh-huh. Not that, but just like how, what the cross has become in culture. Correct. Right? And I'm like, ah, you know, like. But but in a new covenant era, knowing what we know now, it it is beautiful. It, it is the beauty of the cross is undeniable, but also the brutality of it, and what Jesus suffered through is what makes it beautiful. Does that make sense? You know I, I think it's so. a part of the reason the cross. We talked, didn't we talk about this at some point? I think a part of the reason that the cross became the symbol of God's grace and the gospel is because it's like it's like God through the church reached into Roman terrorism and stole like the primary tool of shame and death they had mm-hmm. and then said, now this actually represents good news. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's like the biggest reversal of what a symbol meant ever. I mean, you think about it. I haven't been there yet, but... The day I get to walk into the Colosseum in Rome, and now there's a cross hanging there. And for hundreds of years, they fed lion, fed Christians to lions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And now the cross is the highest symbol in that place. Mm-hmm. That's like a redemptive word. And we, because we grow up with cross jewelry and stuff, we, mm-hmm. yeah, I can see how you can look at it and be like, it's not supposed to be shiny and pretty. Cross, Charles, how do you, how have you, how do you, this is going to be a faulty question, but how do you hold in tension the brutality and the beauty? Or or both equally at the same time? You said tonight in the sermon, you said, what do you need to be saved? You said, need. Mm-hmm. The the truth of the cross, and Christy has said to me a couple sometimes as I've taught on the cross, she says, honey, sometimes it's really hard for people to hear what you're saying. I said, yeah, I know it was also really hard for Jesus to hang there. 
I don't want to compromise on it. I don't want to dumb it down. I don't want to make you feel more comfortable. All those pictures we see of Jesus wearing a loincloth, that's just baloney. He's totally shamed, totally naked. So the, the truth of the cross is, Isaiah says he became unrecognizable as a man. They shredded him before he got there with a cat of nine tails. It's not Indiana Jones. It's a thing that removes flesh. And then he's so weak, he can't even carry the thing up through the Damascus gate. So they drop it on Simon's shoulders. They force march him out of town, strip him. And also the thing where we see where they, they, they put one foot over the other and they have one nail through. They've recent discoveries in Jerusalem, in the Temple Mount, have found heel bones. I've, I haven't seen them. I've seen the documentation of them. Heel bones with the nail through the side. So the, the picture is this. They would take the, the condemned and they would spread his legs yeah. on either side of the vertical post. And then with two nails, they would nail into either side of the heel because it's harder to get leverage. There are more nerve endings and there are less blood vessels. So it lasts longer. More crucifixions, nerves, left blood. Think about crucifixions were known to last from a couple hours to nine days. Oh, yeah. So the, I don't, I hate it. I don't, I'm not, and, and, and in all, the, all that I've written about it, I'm not trying to titillate you or somehow, I'm trying to tell the truth of it because when we understand the truth of it, we know what it cost him to enable to be able to shower what John says in John 1, grace upon grace. If you think about that, another translation says it's grace in place of grace. I mean, think about that. Okay, here's my grace. Or now let me give you more grace in place of that grace. And let me give you this grace in place of that. I mean, it's, so is it beautiful? What, what, what was accomplished and what was finished is absolutely beautiful. Is it horrific? Yeah, but if, if we look on that and we can't understand that that ought to be me, we're all Barabbas. You said it tonight. That, that, that is, that's us. That, that's what we all deserve. And so if we try and whitewash it, it reduces what it costs, it reduces what was paid, and it reduces our understanding of our need for it. The more aware of how brutal it really was is what gives it its most robust beauty. I think you a know? part of that is it... Um, God makes a payment sufficient to take away our sin. Well, how gross must our sin be mm-hmm. if that is what is required? Because mm-hmm. we, we particularly the Western Church, does not have a very good idea mm-hmm. about the grossness of sin or whatever the words you want to use. Because if you think about it, man, I, I joked about this a few weeks ago. Christians don't even sin anymore; they just struggle. Mm-hmm. I don't. I can't remember the last time I was in a Bible study or with a group of men, and they were like, "I've been sinning." It's everything's a struggle, you know? So we even use other words. And when you talk about grace upon grace, it doesn't mean that we're not taking sin seriously. God takes it so seriously that Jesus had to go through all mm-hmm. of that. You know what? Thank God for the Passion of the Christ movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that. There's testimony I, tonight. Bro, you can't read the words and he was flogged because that's what it says. It's so. It doesn't paint the picture because everybody knew exactly what you were talking mm, about. Right. Mm. Um, 
But you would read by that, and you would think like, whoosh, 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 you know, back in the day. Mm-hmm. We may have talked about this before. I talked about the family dinner I was at about the Passion of the Christ. I vaguely we, remember it. But we may have been on, on, talked about it on here before. I was at a family dinner shortly. This is 20 years ago now, whenever it came out. And right after it came out, I was at a family dinner, and I won't mention the family members name by name, but you know who you are. <laughs> um, and I, there's a couple of folks in my family that were physically agitated by the movie, and they got up and left and were verbally frustrated at dinner about how brutal and violent it was. And my 20-year-old self was not near as tame <laughs> as the Pastor Britt that you know now. Help you. And they're more or less often criticism of it's just too violent. It was just too, it was too. And with some choice words, I asked them, what do you think actually happened? Like it was almost like they didn't have a category in their mind that that actually was a about 75 to 80% of what actually happened. Yeah, they didn't show him naked, or the, he potentially could have had his genitals nailed to the mercy seat. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's a very real possibility. Mm-hmm. Very real. Here's what's crazy, man. Um, but that is the American mindset. Yeah, because you know? you know what? They wanted, to, they wanted to defend the dignity of Jesus because the only version they had was a Swedish Jesus petting a fluffy sheep from Lifeway. Mm-hmm. And lo, I will be with you. <laughs> yeah, right. Hello. Here's I'm the thing. Jesus. Yeah. That- <laughs> Jesus says when he... I got tickets to the Super Bowl, <laughs> Jesus. I love that so much. <laughs> oh, inside jokes, guys. Sorry. Oh, Back to the podcast. <laughs> he doesn't even know I kept his coin. <laughs> I got tickets to the Super Bowl, Jesus. Uh, no, not you. <laughs> here's the thing, though. That physical suffering wasn't even the half of it. You know what I mean? Like when he says, let this cup pass from me, the cup of the wrath of God... Mm-mm. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, you're right. We don't understand the grossness of it because we don't necessarily think of that physical pain. And it's good to to be reminded of how physically excruciating. The word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion, by the way. So the word for pain, the root word is a cross. Mm. Um, But yeah, think about the psychological, spiritual. he, He drank the cup of the wrath of God. And how about this? Somehow I never really paid attention that on the way he he gets relieved of the crossbar for a minute and then he looks at the women. He's like, hey, don't cry. Don't cry. This is the plan. Mm. In the end times, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like the only way I can justify him being able to say that, fully God, fully man, mm. is that he could see the work of the Father accomplished for the glory of God mm. unto the nations. Mm. I mean, the joy set before him. The only thing he gets out of this deal is the redemption of humankind unto the glory of God. And you can't try to separate those two things. Mm. And for that, he's like, that's why I'm going to go through this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that is like, okay, so how glorious is every tribe, tongue, and nation around the throne yeah. that you would endure the cross mm-hmm. and look at a group of women crying and be like, don't cry. And he's- cry for anybody that doesn't understand this. And he says, he implies, if you think this is bad. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You should actually weep for subsequent generations because they're doing this while the wood is green is what he says. But what are they going to do when the wood's dry? 
I don't even know what that even means, but that's... Man, I think oftentimes when we started the Garden of Gethsemane, I think we we missed the, the spirit of what was happening there, you know, in the statement where Jesus makes, if, if it be possible that this cup pass for mm-hmm. me, because we would only be acting begrudgingly, we think that that is what he's doing, that he's mm-hmm. saying, I don't want to do this, but if you're going to make me, then I will. Mm-hmm. But that's not what he's doing. What he's talking to is his father saying, I'm staring down the scope of what I know we've had planned forever. And fully God, fully man, this is going to be rough. So I think this is going to be rough. Multiple you know? times in the scriptures, but it's it, not begrudging. It tells 100%. I think multiple times in the scriptures, it just says, Jesus be like, I'm praying this out loud so somebody will write this down so everybody will know. I'm trying to give a commentary for all generations so you can mm-hmm. know a little bit of what's happening. I think right. that's one of those instances. Mm. And I think a part of what Jesus is establishing, if there be any other way, it's back to the very first question that you ask. This is the only way. And I'm saying this in the garden, knowing it's going to make it in the Bible, and then for all of history, people can make a decision, but there's not many paths to heaven. Yeah. Nobody else can... Take away your sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. If there be any other way, not my will, but your will be done. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned tonight that text that you were just talking about where you say he's pointing to the end time, Isaiah 62 popped into my mind. Because anytime we talk about the end times, I think about the great wedding, you know, the consummation of all things, and and that ultimately the cross sealed the deal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And... and um, the overarching theme of this weekend's sermon is that God does not begrudgingly forgive you. It is his joy to do so, Amen. and Jesus is the proof. Mm. And it's his joy to be wed to people who are in open rebellion against him that he overthrew their will, mm-hmm. and he adopted them as sons and daughters and, and brothers and ransomed them as brothers and sisters. Isaiah 62.5 says this, so you're, you know, you're, a, you're a mom listening, and you're overly self-critical. And that can play on a narrative of God loves you, but he kind of has to because he's God. No, he chooses to. Mm. He chooses to. You know, you're dad and you give yourself a hard time because you can never live up to the role of dad. And you're like, still somehow there's this smoke of workspace righteousness in your life where you think there's something for you to do. And it's just be encouraged, man, that God does not have to love you. He chooses to do so because it makes him happy to. And Isaiah 62, 5 says this, For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And I think about Luke, when the, Luke 15, when the, the, the parable of the lost sheep, there's a, there's a phrase right in the middle of it where he brings the sheep back on his shoulders, mm-hmm. which is like cross imagery, right? And he says, and he enters the town, he says, now rejoice with me. And this word rejoice is the same. It's like Isaiah 62. It's the same idea of now sing with me. Mm-hmm. And we see pictures all over the scripture where it's like, there's a verse, Minky might know it, where it's like God sings over his people, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I just pray that that's the image we receive through the whole series. Certainly the image you paint in in your book, it is finished, um, but specifically the text this week, because I think if we see forgiveness through the lens of it makes God happy to do so, what a gift mm. versus 
God did it so that he didn't lose his kids, but it was kind of a bummer. Right. And then, you know? and then the like, just a, a, a shade deeper is, and the reason God does this is because it is congruent with who he is because mm-hmm. God is love. Mm-hmm. And nothing makes God happier than to act like God. Mm-hmm. To, to be consistent with who he is, mm-hmm. and he is love. Yeah. He is not wrath. Wrath is a result of who he is because mm-hmm. he is love. Mm-hmm. He pours out his judgment on sin because he is just. Yeah. Wrath's a byproduct of love. Correct. It's like, yeah, it's like the, the negative version of love and justice. Wrath is the shadow that the light of love casts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so therefore, we should be those kind of people. Mm-hmm. So, but the the thing that hit me, Father, forgive them. There's whole commentaries on who is them. Not one of them said us. Mm. It's like it's the Romans or it's the Jewish leaders or it's just the people that were there. No, it means for all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, hold on, man. It's you, writer of the commentary. <laughs> you didn't put that one in there. Give me a break. What are we talking about here? You get so hung up on like mm. parsing the Greek that you've missed the whole point. And the moment mm. I don't think I'm them, mm-hmm. God help me, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are many groups of people right now that mm. get on my nerves so bad. <laughs> and the moment my attitude towards those people is them instead of compassion for their salvation mm-hmm. and oh god i want to rejoice when they come to christ mm-hmm. even if they come to christ and don't act still don't act the way i want to mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and i boy we've missed it and by we i mean like historically the church over time y'all we are one generation away from church leaders saying white people and black people can't go to church together mm-hmm. It's not that's not like some kind of ancient history thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And be like, what how, oh, how how do you how do you read this and mm. Zacchaeus and this Simon of Cyrene and I mean how how do you get there? And then Lord help me for all my blind spots where mm-hmm. I am there right now and I don't even realize it right now. I pray that this forty days will smack mm. me in the head for any time I think them aren't mm. Deserving, none of us are deserving. History, history, human history is just so brutal, brutal violent, man. Mm-hmm. Brutal. It really is. I mean, of us and them. Mm-hmm. Of just us and them. We talk about the Passion of the Christ. I mean, I think I've watched it many, many times. I like to watch it usually around Easter. Um, there's two parts I think that make me cry the most, and it's two things that Jesus says. One of them is he's at the table with. The disciples and he says, "I don't call you servants; I call you friends." Friends. And then the second, also a uniqueness of Christianity. Mm-hmm. He's the only yeah. religious leader that called his people friends. Yeah. And then the second one is he's on the cross, and the way that they portrayed it in the movie is that he's the nail is about to go into his hand, and he says, "Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing." You know, Mel Gibson directed that movie, and he put his hand mm-hmm. as the one who mm-hmm. right. hit that nail. You know, um, so I, I don't, I don't know how you can read that. I mean, yeah, he is talking about the Romans and everybody, uh, everybody else, and the the compassion that's like forgive, them, forgive them. He's there's zero anger. There's zero like 
how could they do, you know what I mean? Like, I just, that's the hardest part to understand is how could you say that of those people who are brutalizing you and you're innocent? You know, that's who he is. Well, at all times, Jesus is, this is a bad way to say it probably, but he is playing the air war and the ground war at all times. Mm-hmm. And on the cross, they're, like the Romans are both humans on the street being Romans, yep. created in the image of God, that are completely ignorant of who they're killing and they shouldn't be, but they are completely. So, so there's the, they're the actual humans and they categorically, gorkly represent Mm. the reality that there's a massive amount of ignorance when there's no reason for the ignorance of which Jesus is saying that forgiveness is available and then there's people on the street who are jeering and mocking him with Bible verses and with taunts about God who are willfully blind mm. to the Messiah right in front of them. It's not an ignorant thing as much as it's a, like just insolence mm. right. with information, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like the air war of the every category of human history and every layer of what would ever need forgiveness is represented. Yeah around the cross that day and their actual humans that need forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And if they place their trust Mm -hmm. in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and their Lord, then that's the only place you're going to find it. He says, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And it made me think of 1 Timothy 1.13 when when Paul is talking, he said, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Why is it good news, Pastor Joby, that the forgiveness is not dependent on us understanding? Well, I think a part of the reason when Jesus is, when he's explaining parables, and they're like, why are you teaching parables? He's like, cause. If they have ears to ears and eyes to see, they may repent and believe. And you're like, what? Mm-hmm. I thought that was the point. Mm-hmm. And I think what he's saying is, because if you think you can just intellectually get your head around a cognitive ascent mm-hmm. of the truth that I'm saying, that requires no faith. Mm. Faith is a gift from God. And apart from faith, you can do nothing to please him. Mm. And I'm coming to you. Mm. You don't just have to be the sharpest student in the class mm-hmm. to earn a seat with me. Mm. That's why yeah. it matters. Somebody said in a testimony video recently... <clears throat> I think it was goal shot when she said, I had faith in Jesus and I didn't have to have it all figured out. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. um, I know we're jumping ahead a minute, but the, the thief on the cross just to the side of Jesus doesn't have any of it. I love mm-hmm. the, I mean, who is it? Um, the, the preacher, the Scottish preacher, Alistair Begg, Alistair Alistair Begg. Begg the man on the middle cross. When he That's gives, how we're ending next week, the man on the middle cross. When he talks about, you know, that joker getting to heaven and he walks up to the gates and the guys are saying, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? He says, well, and then then he goes into this long, long thing. They're testing him like, well, what do you know about, you know, what's your Christology? What's, give me your doctrine of salvation. You're, give me, what do you know about the inerrancy of the word? And the guy's just like, I don't know. The the guy on the middle cross told me I could come. Yeah. I just. Grace is so radically offensive. Mm. If you really think about what we're talking about when we say the doctrine of grace, mm. no merit. Right. No merit. I, I would go as far as to say the majority of American Christians have, would have a hard time admitting 
like in a false humility, we would do it, but I'm talking about your true character. Would you really admit or resonate most with the thief on the cross as who you are? You understand what I'm asking? Mm-hmm. Dude, the answer is no. That's why everybody got so angry at the He Gets Us commercial. Because mm-hmm. they thought none of the people getting their feet washed were merited. And so then everybody's up in arms. Now, are there shadows on the He Gets Us commercial? For sure. It didn't talk about faith and repentance, but I don't think it was the point. Yeah, anytime I mean, there's subjectivity in all art, it's an artistic presentation of love and serving people that are not like you. Bro, hey, I, was look, in, we, I was in these texts. I know those guys. They're good dudes. Man. Correct. Yeah. I was in a bunch of texts with a bunch of people that were losing their mind online, and they're giving me the reasons. At one point I said, are you trying to literally quote the older brother in Luke 15? Because that's, like, your words are the same word. You never threw a party for me. That's all. I mean, what are you doing, you know? I mean, it was crazy. To which, you know, I, I used that deal, Moody quote, which I freaking love. I love man. that. Mm-hmm. He's getting criticized, and he's like, his parent, you don't like the way I do evangelism. He goes, I, sometimes I don't like the way I do evangelism, but I like the way I'm doing it better than the way you're not. Just Confession, fantastic. during the second quarter of the Super Bowl, I was doing nothing to advance the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And he gets us people, we're trying. They were trying. E- even if you don't agree with their strategy and all that, okay, no problem, man. But man, I just see so many people, and you can get so popular online right now. The most, the easiest way to get popular, critical. most critical wins, most critical gets the most likes, the most follows. And it's easy to be like, play the profit role when you just have some kind of online thing, but you have nothing to do with shepherding people. And that comes at the expense of people. I'm just telling you, I. I there's a bunch of people that are critical of everything that some church does or some ministry does. And if you found yourself in John chapter 8, you'd be standing there with a rock hmm. about to be opposed to what Jesus was trying to do. And so in John chapter 8, when he says, whoever hasn't ca- whoever sinned, cast first stone, everybody leaves. Okay. Jesus never makes a public declaration that repentance is required. That's a private conversation with this lady. Everybody's gone. Nobody. There's no audience. He doesn't give a full gospel presentation. Mm. He runs everybody off because they all think she is unmerited, and they think they are merited. That's why it ticks me off, man. I mean, I get so fired up about this stuff, and the reason I get fired up about it is because I spend all day, every day, not that I'm some saint, trying to care for love and share the gospel with people, trying to disciple Christians Mm -hmm. and reach lost people with the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the luxury to just sit back and watch all the Christian news feeds and just be critical of what everybody is doing. Didn't Paul say it? it? He said, what do I care? Whether it's in pretense (laughs) or in truth, I rejoice that Christ is being preached. Mm -hmm. And they were preaching to get him beat more. Mm Mm-hmm. It's one of the main reasons that I, I don't do. I've never. I haven't done social media in years. I'm off at all. Yeah. If you do it, great, good for you. You got a reason, all that stuff, fine. But it's so disheartening to me in so many ways that I've got better things to do. Me mm-hmm. than because there's enough of me that's a fighter that would want to get in there, and it's just not the highest and best use of my time mm-hmm. to. Correct people that should just know better. Mm, yeah. When there's people that God has put at our church 
that we can love and spend time with. And, you know, and it's not, we're not, you know, like you said, it's not like we're super special or nothing, but man, who's got time for all that? Like, what are you spending your time on? Like get in the secret place and do some work with a father and let's see what he does in the world. Mm. You know what I mean? So Charles, what do you know about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Somebody started singing it tonight when you, as soon well, as you said scared. that. I know he was a, a, a Jew who had sold out to Rome, and he was profiting off of his own people. Um, and he was hated. They didn't like him. And then Jesus says, hey, I'm come down. I love the way you talked about that scripture tonight because it it says he received him with joy, and you don't know if it's talking about Zacchaeus receiving Jesus or Jesus receiving Zacchaeus. And I love the way that it's not, you can't tell in the translation. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, love, I love the fact that Jesus hangs out with people that are abhorrent to the religious elite, mm-hmm. the Pharisees that, you know, hate them. And it means there's hope for us. Mm-hmm. Jericho was not every good Jew's favorite place. And I know you've written about fine Bartimaeus as well, but the fact that those two things are right there uh, next to each other, and in both of them, Jesus is like, hey, come. He, he, he does exactly what that verse says. He seeks them out to, to, to bring them salvation. Zacchaeus is one of those parts of Jesus' testimony that you, you rarely hear people deal with the the what the whole of what happened there, mm-hmm. and we could spend. I don't know that I've ever heard you preach the whole text. I preached part of it one time during the the bridges series, mm-hmm. but there's so much in that text that's just mind numbing. Mm-hmm. Like the crowd is in the way, right? You know all these details, yeah. and then how Zacchaeus responds. Nobody wants to talk about that. Right. That I'm going to give he, half my money away. And then if I've extorted you. The time. only appropriate response that he could think of was a monetary response. You talk about not popular in the American church. Mm-hmm. Boom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like Zacchaeus' story is like very un-American. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, what incredible. Yeah, there's a, a quote I read about it. Um that there's some there's an instinct in the Christian life to give. You know, that the the, the grace train, the yeah, change man. life is is one that wants to give. Yeah, so the Jericho thing, uh Josephus called Jericho a fat city, but it didn't, it didn't mean people were overweight. It meant it was like a like a like a tree root that was busting with resources. Um it was a significant city on the way from the Sea of Galilee, we've all been there and through it mm-hmm. to get up to Jerusalem. So it was it was uh, lots of resources there. And there were only three major tax toll booths or super centers in all of Jerusalem. Mm. It was like Caesarea Philippi, uh, Jericho, and one more, I think Capernaum. Mm. And so the fact that he, he was like a kingpin and he had a bunch of people working for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that there's also, you always got to pay attention to, I mean, I don't have time to unpack all this stuff. You don't heal a poor blind man and a rich guy that can see back to back without putting those two together 
going, mm-hmm. actually, the guy that could see was blind, and the guy that was blind could see, because immediately he cries out. You know, like, these things have so much to do with each mm-hmm. other. And they, w- one guy gets ostracized because he's blind, he's crying out, and one guy climbs up in a tree to do whatever he can do to get to Jesus. They, they both had to fight through the crowd to get to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Pay attention, church. You might be the crowd keeping somebody that mm-hmm. you think isn't supposed to get to Jesus, get to Jesus. This mm-hmm. is a part of the yeah. what Luke is trying to clue us into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a part of the reason you know that is because he also writes the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the whole thing is about the gospel getting to all the people. Mm-hmm. Like as the Acts 16 with yeah. the three different groups of people immediately, you just see that it's for everyone. Uh, and I love what you said you know, in verse 9. It says, salvation has come to this house since he's a son of Abraham. And I bet you if you read your commentary, it says, well, it must he means he's Jewish. But you you unpacked it better for us. So it it does mean, hey, listen, everybody, take care of your brother. Mm-hmm. You don't treat him like an outsider anymore. <clears throat> but he's you don't inherit your faith. You have great benefits when you're in a generation of faithful people, mm-hmm. but pretty much only because those faithful parents and grandparents prayed some kindling around you. Mm-hmm. So that when yeah. the Spirit of God lit up, bro, you don't on fire. Fact. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting around some people like that. Mm-hmm. But to be a son of Abraham, Paul, I mean, he just unpacks this as clear as it could be. Not all genetic children of Abraham mm-hmm. are receivers of the promise. Yep. Because the promise was the seed, not the seeds, and the seed was Jesus, and by faith, whoever believes in Jesus... They get what Abraham got, and what Abraham got is his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Hmm. Now, you want to talk about an unpopular message, but I can't make it say anything except for what it says. So then when you get to chapter 10 and it says all Israel will be saved, you got to—he redefined the terms. Mm -hmm. You don't get to pull that one out and say because of the boundaries that you were born in and who your great-granddad is, you're just automatically in. That's not how it works. Mm. Yeah, read Romans, people. Read it all the time, yeah, just, over and over again. It didn't have chapters and verse when Paul wrote it. It was just right. one letter straight through. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was a lawyer, so he is—he's <clears throat> so smart. All it doesn't break down chapter by chapter, but it's close. And almost each chapter answers the questions that would have arisen in the previous chapter. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You got one through six <clears throat> argument, counter argument. Yeah. Very theological. Yeah. Seven and eight, they stand alone. No doubt. In human history. <laughs> and then nine through the, the end is... The role of Israel in for sure. redemption. It's him answering the questions that somehow we're still asking. Correct. So, Well, I want to I wrap us up with, with this thought. You know, we talked a lot about... We talked about penal substitutionary atonement, which is so great. Yeah, man. And uh, that's just kind of a mega church standard. That's what you do, just teach on that. <laughs> and it's you know, we talked a lot about the righteousness of God, and and we've we're going to talk more about this. Um, but there's just this instinct in us as humans to to try to bring our own, like you talked about paying the mortgage after it's already paid. And I think that same the, the same thing that makes you want to bring a merit to God is a thing that doesn't want to count yourself with the, with the them. So what do you think? I mean, I think I know the answer, but what do you think is the thing that keeps you from being in that group of the ones who 
and they all grumbled because he's gone into the house of a sinner. It's back to the merit conversation. You think you, you think you bring merit to the equation. The reason that it is important in the to un- understanding the phrase that he died for us. Um, it does. The only way it makes sense is in regards to a debt debtor relationship. Because mm. if you just died for me, be like, what do you mean? I love you so much that I'm just going to go lay in traffic. Be like, that's that doesn't make any sense. What does mm-hmm. that do for me? That does nothing for right. me. But the reason that the Bible uses atonement language is mm-hmm. that means payment, and our our sin incurs debt. Mm-hmm. The moment you think you don't have debt to be paid. That's when you fall into the mm-hmm. the them ain't me. Mm-hmm. This is like the parable of the unmerciful servant. That's yeah. what the whole point is. The reason you don't forgive is you forgot that your debt has been forgiven. Mm. Yeah. And so the only way that in your place works is because he can pay your debt. Mm-hmm. Like the courtroom breaks down a little bit because nobody can go to jail for you. That's just not how that system works. There are parts of it that make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But the... The penal substitutionary atonement works because somebody can pay a debt for you, yeah. and Jesus paid that debt. Because what was on the line is actually execution, correct? Not jail time, and he he did that, correct? And mm. then I too, I'm, and then so what did he do for three days? All right, well, I mean, we get real in eschatology here. So there's like a waiting room. <laughs> we call it like heaven and Hades, which are like the waiting room for the eternal lake of fire and mm-hmm. new heaven, new earth. And there are not the same as purgatory. Nope, not at all. Uh, groups <laughs> we don't of, say that, by the way. He said we said. <laughs> yeah, forever. <laughs> so anyway, then uh, the reason hell, can, the reason death can't hold him is because the wages of sin are death. We ain't got no sin, mm. so death can't hold him. Mm. Like they're trying to exact payment, and he's like, "I owe you nothing," mm. and so they can't keep him dead. Mm-hmm. And then he walks out with the keys of death. Mm-hmm. He said, like, "That's nothing." And then if you believe, just like he walked out of the grave, we get to walk out too. Mm-hmm. He's the proto-toko from the dead. Mm-hmm. And just as he was resurrected, we get to be resurrected too. Mm. Charles's favorite preacher, a guy named Derek Prince, would always say, we bring all the bad. He takes all, we bring all the bad and he takes all the bad. He brings all the good and we leave with all the good. Mm. You know, he, all the bad that we had to offer, Jesus took, and all the good that he had, he gives it freely of himself. Mm-hmm. And that's to your point earlier about sin and the, the no merit conversation. Most people believe we don't, I, and I, I do. I don't bring anything that merits my salvation, yet I'm trying to merit having been given salvation through my life. It's an incomplete gospel. Mm-hmm. And the infinite nature, both in intention and action, what makes sin so awful is not the action itself. It's whom the action is committed against. That's right. That it's the infinite reality of God that is offended infinitely. Correct. And he chooses to cover over that infinite offense and adopt you on an infinite level into a love-lavished relationship. It really is so mind-bending that one day we will realize how much nothing we brought Mm -hmm. 
right. and how much everything we have received. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name. There's this, um, there's this teaching tool that we are all familiar with uh, in this curriculum that we use. That's the Evangel come, Cube? Oh, <laughs> close. Uh, but you know that, that diagram that's like got those two lines that are kind of expanding on a... It's the cross-centered life. Yes. Yeah. And it's like the bigger the cross get, the top line represents your your admiration of God's holiness and character, and the yeah, bottom like your growing understanding of the yes. magnificence of God. And then the bottom line is like your you know understanding of your depravity and the the ter- the horribleness of your own sin. Correct. And what stands in that gap is your understanding of the cross. So as your understanding of the cross grows, both of those things simultaneously grow as Amen. well. Uh, and I think that's what keeps you from. Throwing the stones, right? We need reminding. Yes. All of us. Amen. I mean, I need reminding. Mm-hmm. I work here amongst us. I have political views. I have, you know, like there's groups Sin, of people around the world, and I'm like, how could they? Mm-hmm. And the, mo- the what this yes. reminded me of getting ready is that just please don't let me forget that I am them. Mm-hmm. And the moment I look down my nose at some other thems, mm. you have taken your eyes off of the cross. And when Jesus saw a group of people without a shepherd mm. who had been hurt mm. and beaten up, yeah. he didn't go, how dare they? Mm-hmm. The Bible says he had compassion on them. Yeah. So yeah. may we please, please. Mm. And I'm not talking about bending any word of the good news of the gospel to say everybody's okay as you are. No, That's right. could, none of us are, though. Yeah. None of us are. Mm. That's good. Well, maybe you close this, or maybe Charles closes in prayer. Whatever Charles, you want. why don't you pray Before with Before we do, can we just, let me just say, Charles, it is finished as a gift. No doubt. And you are a gift no to the world, but you're also a gift to our church. And um, the Bible says some version of. When a man's worthy of honor, give it to him. And you're an honorable man and a good friend and a great pastor. And I just thank God for your gifts. I thank God for your friendship. I thank God for y'all's relationship and how it's going to sow seeds to the fourth and the fifth generation. And long after y'all are dead, people are going to be reading about the things that God stirred up in y'all's heart through his word. And so we receive the gift in Jesus' name. And... uh I'm so glad that we sat next to each other on a bus in Israel one time, and here we are. Yeah, man. And to our for eleven twenty two was listening. Like, if you care about me whatsoever, a part of God's provision in my life is this man right Amen. here. And the process that we go through when we put books together is just an unbelieving, unbelievable, sanctifying and healing process. Yeah. Charles is also. He loves me, and so we'll get to some spots, and there's an inappropriate amount of emotion or something, and we're supposed to be writing a book, man. We got, like, deadlines and chapters, and, you know, this stuff's coming, and we're sitting at the retreat center, and he'll just he'll just dig in mm-hmm. to wounds in the name of Jesus that has helped me be a better man and a better husband and a better dad and a better pastor. Mm. And then, in a, but he ain't like a shrink or something. And then in very short time before or after, there's just an immense amount of laughter and 
white tails hanging from the mm-hmm. in the skin and shed. So mm-hmm. it, it is really I appreciate you more than you know. Amen. I'm grateful to you guys. Let me let me let me pray us out of here. Amen. Lord Jesus, we here's the truth of us. The only thing we bring to your cross is the sin that causes us to need it in the first place. So Father, tonight we are so grateful that we can raise our hands and know that we are them and that you pushed up on your nail-pierced feet and asked your Father to forgive us for we did not know what we were doing. So Lord, we, we, we just raise our hands and say we, we, we are them. Father, forgive us. We thank you that you do. We thank you for this time and us getting to unpack your word and Lord, as we go through these seven weeks and we walk back to your cross day after day after day, would you please meet us with two things? One is the truth of us. John says that grace and truth are poured out on the lips of Jesus. So, Father, would you give us the truth? But we also know that when we get there and you you speak the truth of us to us, that it's wrapped in grace and it's not cheap grace because it costs you everything to lavish it on us. Mm-hmm. So, Father, we, we just give you these next several weeks and our time with you and We look forward to meeting you. And Lord, if you hear anything tonight from us, please hear our gratitude for the cross. Please hear our gratitude for your willingness to climb up on it. And then for the joy set before you. And Lord, I don't pretend to understand all of the joy that was set before you, but I do know that we were a part of that. And I thank you, Father, that for the joy set before you, you despised the shame and endured the cross. So Jesus, we say thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> the end. You nailed it. <laughs>